Welcome to episode 60 of the Bulak podcast. This is Ursula Lindsay, and with me, as always, is Marsha Links Quayley. Hi, Marsha. Hello. Hello. Um, Marsha is in Rabat, Morocco, and I'm in Amman, Jordan. Uh, and uh, we are recording as usual with the support of the Salt Network. And we'll be discussing this week um, a, an adaptation of a book. So a book that is, uh, has a huge fan following, a, a series, an Egyptian series uh, by a writer who is uh, a late writer who's dearly beloved, Ahmed Khaled Taufik. And uh, the adaptation of his series, Mewara et Tabia, uh, as, which was rendered as paranormal um, for Netflix. Uh, so we got the fun of also watching watching the series for this one. And in fact, I actually have to admit, I didn't read the paranormal books, um, which I think there's dozens and dozens of them in the series. There is there are eighty one of them. So wow. yeah, it, <laughs> so, I think if you didn't if you didn't grow up reading the paranormal books, reading eighty one of them is is a really it's a big it's a PhD thesis, I think. It, it would have been a tall order for me to uh, to catch up on that in time for the episode. <laughs> it would have been a lot. Um, but uh, why don't you tell us a bit about him, Marsha? You actually had the chance to meet him. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think anybody would tell you that he is a lovely, generous, a fantastic human being, and that you really can't talk about him and his immense oeuvre, you know, of more than 200 novels of diff in, in many different genres without talking about wh what a kind person he was. So he was born in 1962. Um, he passed away in April of 2018. And I think it, many people talked about what, uh, uh, <laughs> many of his fans talked about what a shock it was to the literary establishment, how his fan base just massed um, it, it, after after his death, and how I think it became, you know, it, his 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 books were always big sellers. Um, I think the paranormal, you know, there's some figure of 15 million copies floating around. Although, of course, I don't know how many illegal downloads you could count in addition to that. But, um, but it's another thing to see a, a fan base just like. Um, come out in 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 honor of of a beloved author and he was really a beloved author and, and, a, and uh, a popular author i mean so he wrote sort of popular right. entertainment which is and and for and and books that were i don't know if they were explicitly for young adults but th that certainly they were, was they his were audience not, right right they were not explicitly for for ya in the same way that ya books are are framed now but yes that Young young people were his definitely his audience. And yes, it was horror, science fiction, um, fantasy, and and a kind of a a blend of those those different things in in a, in a way that does not you know line up with how we see those genres in in English. But um, but kind of you know yeah, all of them maybe mixed together at the same time. Um, and he also translated uh, science fiction works into Arabic, including Ray Bradbury, you know, the sort of classics, uh, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, Arthur Clarke. Um, and and he wrote a number, uh, he wrote, there, there's only sort of, I think, 
sort of one what utopia is like his self-consciously adult science fiction work set in the near future and that is his one work that's been translated into into English and I think the biggest question that that I got from the moment that this series was announced until now is one uh are have the books been translated into English and then two are the books being translated into English and then three why aren't the books being translated into English so none of them have appeared and I don't know that any publisher has been looking into the rights um as of yet um although of course I would strongly support that. <laughs> um, and, and anyway, so he wrote a number of, this is one of the series that, that he wrote um, of, of these big, long um, series. And I think one of the main reasons why it was so beloved, it, so it started in, in the early 90s and it ran through 2004, 81 novels, and all centering around Rifat, um, who naturally, obviously, the TV series also um, uh, centers around this uh, Egyptian hematologist working at mid-century. Um, and uh, yeah, and one of the fantastic things about it, I think, is at the same time, um, the pocket novels of Nabil Farouk, the Ragal al-Mustahil, the impossible man or whatever, um, the hero was Adam Sab Adham Sabri, and he's like a you know a superhero kind of guy. Whereas Rifat, I think one of the reasons he was so beloved is you know he's um, he's not particularly attractive, and he's definitely not a superhero type, and he's wheezy and um, you know uh, constantly ill, taking all kinds of medications. But he's he's extremely clever, you know. In a, in a Sherlockian sense. Right. I mean, so he's, I don't know if in the book, but in the series, he's, he's, he's balding. He has a heart condition. He's a chain smoker. He has a very dark sense of humor. Um, I, I, in the books, does he, are they also, I suppose they're narrated by him? Yeah. Yeah. Although there's, there can be multiple narrators. There's a lot of, di yes. So it's, it's narrated by him. So you, um, as I think Osama Yusuf's um, uh, review says, you know, you always know that he's, you know, he's going to survive these these things because here he is telling you about it. Um, right. So, so the pleasure of it is in how is he going to survive? How do we unknit these mysteries? Yeah. So they they're a combination of mystery, horror, science fiction, fantasy. Um, and so many people I saw saying around the time that he died that, you know, I learned more about science from these, from Khaled uh, Tofik's novels than I ever did in the classroom. I passed some of my medical exams <laughs> based on what I remembered of the novels. Well, and he was a doctor himself. So that makes right. sense that he made his character one and that that played a part. And then it sounds like whatever um scientific elements or legendary elements he was working into the stories that um he was quite they were quite well researched or they were quite knowledgeable in that sense like there was 
uh, a kind of fun learning involved, like not, not, you know, not in a didactic way, but that there was like right, a lot of right. kind of information about the world packed into them. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he f seems to have felt a responsibility of writing for a young audience, you know, that, that kind of a joy of sharing your knowledge while weaving it into a fast paced story. And so, um, so th this episode is obviously going to have spoilers. Like we've both watched the whole Netflix series and I think we're going to talk about it, you know, and, and all the way up to its conclusion, we're not going to try and like not give it away. So, um, I suppose if you don't want to hear how, how things turn out, like wait, watch the six episodes on Netflix first, um, and then come back and listen. But, um, just to uh, to give an overview kind of of the of the story as it's rendered in this adaptation, I think they combined storylines from several different books and and elements from several different books. And so the he in in this first uh, in this this first series of episodes, he sort of there's a ghost story, what I thought is actually haunted by this like child ghost. Um, and, and at the same time, there's like a number of other like supernatural mysteries and curses and challenges, which are more or less connected to this main ghost story, including like a mysterious plague, including, um, this, uh, sort of, uh, animal creature out in the desert that guards a cave that he needs to enter, uh, a mummy's curse in one episode, um, what else is there? Oh, like um, the myth of the naiad. Yeah, this again. So in the village that he comes from, the action kind of moves back and forth between Cairo and uh, the the village um, in the in where is he? Was it Mansoura around Mansoura? I think uh, that that his village is supposed to be um, in the countryside. And there's a there's a sort of murder mystery going on there, also with supernatural elements. And, you know, he's constantly sort of so solving all of this and, and moving towards the final conclusion of, of, of the main, of the main mystery. Um, and I mean, what I kind of liked about it was I, there's something quite retro in the, in the elements, right? I mean, so, you know, right. there's quicksand, which there, there needs to be in like every respectable, like adventure story <laughs> right? <laughs> from like the 1950s. There was so much quicksand around back then, uh, everywhere. Uh, and, uh, dude, I remember know, reading in a children's book, like if you ever are in quicksand, know that oh. you have to lay down and float and don't struggle. I guess that's like knowledge all of us need to have. Well, who, I mean, arguably not, but we certainly, you know, if you grew up, if you grew up reading certain books at a certain age, you had the impression that like the world was covered. There was quicksand everywhere. Like you were definitely going to need to get out of quicksand at some point. Um, and, uh, so, so, and, and just the, the wholesale of it, it's not like too scary or too gory at all. It's kind of got an old fashioned vibe, I would say in terms of like, right the monsters and the creatures and the, and, and the hauntings and, and so on. Um, and, uh, this adaptation was highly anticipated because like you said, he had this huge fan base of people who had grown up reading his books and were, I think, very excited, um, 
to to see them to see how they would come to life on screen um i think also there's a certain satisfaction in seeing like a major entertainment company like netflix produce something in arabic with arab actors uh you know based on these popular novels and like with 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 an egyptian background um i think there's something kind of thrilling i, I think the scenery in in the show like the staging of the show in like mid-century cairo is 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 really nicely done like um, yeah it is beautifully done i think it's it's stylishly shot and it's lovely and yeah, yeah it was uh, i think people are possessive also of the story in in a particular way that you, about a book that you read and maybe as a young person that had a large impact on you. I think people are, for myself, anytime I come to a show that's been adapted by, from from a book or series of books that I already liked, um, I, I come with a combative attitude. Um, this is how I imagine the books. Um, this is what I want to see. I think there was a particular, you know, please don't screw this up. I sort of... <laughs> um, from from a number of Egyptians I knew, I or rather still know. Yeah, that was definitely um, there's definitely that element of like fandom and and which which is both critical and and uh, excited and sort of validated by 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 seeing something they love go on screen, um, and the <clears throat> so I think there was you know a lot of people I know watched it. Right. And and we're sort of talking about it online. And then the couple reviews that I've seen, like you said, in sites like Madamas or, or Hibber, um, were so were pretty critical though of the of how successfully the books were staged. Um Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think uh it it is definitely an act of extreme translation, not only in trying to stage uh, an Egyptian novel series for an Egyptian audience, which would already be, you know, sort of an act of translation from literature to film, but also, you know, he ha he was doing it for a Netflix audience, which is sort of a global, you know, you're trying to somehow make this translate into some manner of universal audience, which I think is, um, you, you know, sort of a brain twister. Yeah. And, and it's sort of interesting when you consider that I think one of one of the things that Ahmed Khalid Taufik was doing was, in a way, also an act of translation of taking this genre and a lot of these elements that had uh, that already existed in uh, in like seminal sci-fi horror stories in Western literature, and putting them in like like a completely Egyptian context and like reimagining them for a local audience. Right. right. So this, right. so these stories have kind of moved already across like different time spans and and different audiences. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know how you feel with the show. I thought it was like fairly entertaining. I don't know how you know it's to people who aren't coming already as fans or who don't just have the pleasure of like. For me, it was just like really nice to hear people speak Egyptian Arabic and like to watch a right. show that was in that language with all these settings that I recognized. Um, but I think it's like fairly entertaining without being really particularly groundbreaking. Um, right. I did like, I did have moments where I laughed out loud. 
Um, uh, probably if I repeated them to you, you'd think I'm very corny. Like the moment <laughs> where, where, you know, she's like, well, you look like, uh, Dr. Rafat's looks in the, in the newspaper and, and she says, well, who are you then? He says, Afrit, you know, and uh, right. I don't know, like there were just moments that I think it's his, I, I liked that actor as, as, uh, Dr. Rafat. I think the general consensus is that Ahmed Amin did a really good job with the main character. And that, that's one of the like strongest things. Like he has, he has a really strong look and, mm. and overall this kind of like very deadpan, uh, you know, sarcastic humor is, is rendered. Uh, but then what, what are, what are, what are some of the criticisms? I mean, you're speaking was, of you Dr. Rafat, right. like in the in the in the Mada article by Osama Youssef, like he, you know, his criticism is that some of the singularity of the character actually gets lost in the show. Um, you know, yes, he's sort of like, you know, still kind of the hangdog character, but like what's sort of unique about him intellectually, you know, this sort of intelligence and puzzle solving right. that's in the story doesn't really come through in the show as much. And it's true that, you know, I don't think the resolution of the mysteries is done particularly well. And a lot of it seems to be kind of like happenstance and, and, and luck as, as right. opposed to like a kind Unpicking of all the- a, a, a mystery where you can see what the different elements are. You might see where it's headed, but then when it resolves, you're like, aha, here's how it comes together. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, that was, probably the criticism of Osama's that re resonated the most with me, which was that the mystery elements, um, they leaned too much on, they leaned more on the paranormal than on the log, than, and sort of missed out on being able to also lean on the logical. Right. Because it seems like what people probably enjoyed a lot about it was exactly this like feeling of like, being kind of having your brain kind of stimulated by by the resolution of these mysteries in ways where like you as a young reader were you know found very exciting um and the show yeah doesn't 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 quite have that um i think the other maybe most controversial element of the show is the character of maggie right right so, so i right, gather who is yeah who go is ahead. An, uh, yeah, a marginal character in in the series, but here is sort of the central um, foil slash love interest slash etc. And she's um, she's come from Glasgow to be some kind of colleague of of um, of Dr. Refatz at the um, university, and he's sort of she's sort of his um, always love, and yet they can't be together. Right. I, I mean, so uh, for, for what I gather for, from what I read about the series is, so she's, they, they met in medical school is the premise because he studied abroad. And then in the books, she's not always very central to the plot or the action. She's not always, you know, uh, much of a participant. Um, but she's this sort of reference of this like great lost, idealized, romanticized love. Um <clears throat> Whereas in the series, they because they have her come to Cairo at the very beginning, she's very present for like a lot of the action, um, and she remains this unattainable, although unattainable purely 
because he won't make the effort to attain her. Like it, <laughs> right. it's, 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 right. it's, one of, it's one of these love stories. Yeah, nobody where... is really standing in their way. <laughs> nobody says she's not married. He's not married. Nobody says he, you know, his family seems to think he is with her. I mean, she, I, she and she's practically goading him to make a move through like most right. of the series. I mean, it's not a particularly convincing, I don't think, relationship. She's just kind of, you know, enamored for him when he with him, you know, and just kind of it, it sort of ends with her saying, you know, you know, you know, I'm not that far away. Whenever you finally decide to like speak your mind and right, you know, so she's just going to wait forever for him to make a move, and he's apparently never going to make it. Whereas I guess in the books, the, the distance is already built in. Like she lives elsewhere, and you know, uh, it, it's more it's more structural that they, you know that they can't be together. I guess. Um, but, but I think that the reason that there's a lot of attention has focused on her is because like the figure of the foreign woman as a love interest in like Arabic literature and, 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 and movies perhaps too, is like a controversial, like it stirs up a lot of things, you know, the, mm. I mean, we just finished talking about season of migration to the North in the last episode and where where the main character's relationship with western women and one western woman in particular who's also i don't find a very credible character but is more a symbolic character is like central to the story there's a lot of there's a lot of writing since m- most writing in the 20th century in arabic literature is by men or most of the most best known that features in some way a foreign lover or, or a foreign love interest um and how she's depicted gets, I think, into then questions of like colonialism, basically, right? Um, and and uh, one of the criticisms that I read um, in uh, in Heber, and we'll link to these articles, uh, was the you know that that Ahmed Khalid Tafik gives his character not just in this series but in another series as well. Uh, of a foreign woman love interest partner and you know that there's something kind of messed up in the way that these these ideal western women are the only ones who can understand the heroes who are sort of alienated in their own society and uh who don't find any you know women around them that are like as worthy as these uh exceptional foreign women Right, right. And she's more mobile. She's the one who goes around with him. She's also a hero, unlike Hueda, his fiance and then no longer fiance, who mostly kind of stays behind and stays the victim. Yeah. So this, this, yeah, the series also has, there's, there's this sort of love triangle sort of, and with his, with this young, uh, in the story, she's his cousin, uh, in the TV series, she's his cousin. Um, who I actually think gets developed in the TV series into like, mm. or the mm-hmm. actress gives her a certain presence um, and, and that relationship sort of develops. But yeah, he's basically, you know, he like puts up with this engagement as if it's like such a terrible suffering <laughs> that he has to go through, you know, this like lovely young girl who uh, seems devoted to him. And yet, you know, he, he, he treats it like a kind of penance. Right. Right. 
like like another uh, tie around his neck. Yeah, whereas Maggie is, you know, his ideal lost love, and also she's the one who like always speaks her mind and like always goes along and like actually saves his life in the final scene. And right, um, so. I mean, I don't want to read too much into these things. I think the problem with like, you know, getting into these kinds of discussions about like, you know, whether he should be in love with a foreign woman or not and what that means, you know, can get a little silly. Like, you know what I mean in terms of like making it represent too much. Like, Right. Although, so he does, he does take, so she does become sort of the both, the 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 lost love you know uh, of his past and sort of the present woman who you know who is also the the sidekick who who runs around and, and gets to be mobile um, and also gets to be sort of a co hero and so in the TV series she you know she's she's brought much more to the front and I you know I did wonder if this is like um, um, a, a form of translation to an a, an imagined international audience. Yeah, possibly. I mean, certainly I think also like you're going to see even things that were written 10, 15 years ago, female characters are going to get updated, are getting updated very quickly, right? To what are kind of new expectations in terms of like what kind of a role people want to give women in stories. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't you think that's part of it is like there's, it's, I think writers are a lot less comfortable with having a female character who's just kind of sitting on the sidelines or getting in danger now and then. Like it's, it's right, much right. more of a, a right, e- right. Yeah, I like if you rewatch The Princess Bride, which uh, as an adult, which I have, I'm like, wow, what a terrible character the <laughs> female is. Ugh. She can't even like walk through, you know, a forest by herself without getting on fire. Right. So even if it's done kind of like a little superficially now, Mm. you know, even if it's just done, I think there is a lot of pressure to like give actresses in shows and women in stories kind of like equal, you know, more to do. Um, Right. Right. So, so that might, that might be part of it. I do think like, I mean, that Maggie, who's played, I think by a a Lebanese actress. um, Right. British Lebanese doing like a, 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 a foreign-accented Arabic in the beginning, a, a Scottish-accented Arabic, and then the Scottish accent sort of fades away a little bit, I, I find, over the course of yeah, the series. Yeah, right. Um, it's kind of quite a charming, uh, like, for, for foreign... She speaks Arabic very well, but with this foreign accent. Um, the thing that I... I mean, I think that she still is a is, is sort of a... A sort of not very believable character just because of her, you know, endless indulgence for Refat, who, okay, is likable, but, you know, for this extremely attractive, accomplished woman to just kind of uh, sort of endlessly uh, basically say, look, I'm here, I'm available whenever you, like, make right, up right. your mind you know and and i find all your quirks and your like extreme passivity in this relationship somehow like terribly endearing <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's funny because hueda does have an arc 
Um, and right. I do believe in her more as a, as a character who has growth and who inhabits her role, whereas Maggie does seem sort of the same flatness to me throughout the series. Yeah, she's kind of like a magical Hauega. Like, she's a little bit of a, like, <laughs> you know, like... <clears throat> A magical, magical foreign lady. Uh, yeah, the the Egyptian, the young Egyptian fiance at the end, you know, decides that this is really not for her. And I'm I'm really happy that that scene is is in there after he's sort of like broken off the engagement and then comes back to apologize and 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 uh, and she gets to have the kind of last word in their scene. And that is a character right. arc. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and also, after weirdly, Maggie tries to push uh Hueda back on on Rifat like what you're gonna leave him so you know you're gonna pressure this ex-fiance to take him back huh yeah I mean there's a lot there's there's quite a few things that aren't particularly convincing and the thing is if the if the if the main thrust of the show is is more to be just like a sort of thrilling adventure you know it it, it might it might be that you know, very complex psychological character development isn't like the point. Right. But, but it does have, to, I think there's, there's places where it doesn't quite hold together. Um, uh, and, and so the, 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 the article that I had read in Hibber actually had a kind of interesting argument. It said that it was a good thing that the character of Maggie is like less of a faraway ideal and more of a like flawed, like immediate presence. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I think she's still not a very, doesn't feel like a very real person particularly. I mean, I'm not sure what flaws she had. I didn't notice any. Yeah. You know, in, 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 in terms of sort of an ideal love, She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She can save your life. And yet if you are, you know, feeling like you don't want to be pinned down, she'll always wait for you. Right. She's endlessly tolerant of who you are. Yeah. So I don't, I don't completely buy this argument. And then the counter of that was like, but the show fails where Ahmed Khaled Tawfiq succeeded, which is in, you know, um, uh, the author felt that like, the the original the books like weave um you know local uh legends and stories and expressions and and culture really deeply into the stories and then mm. they felt like they sort of criticized the show as like too hollywood and orientalist and like not like a real i mean again i have problems with this kind of I find that sort of like over determination of like cultural stuff sometimes where you're like reading so much like political subtext into them with you know it's like Ahmed Khalid Tafik was critical of colonialism and he was like an Arab artist and and this show is orientalist and I, I, I sometimes think it's like you're doing too much work here um but I think the issue that people had in particular in both the reviews that I think is very valid is with episode three of the show. Yeah. Which well, is where I they think, go on this right. like desert safari <laughs> adventure. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I think pretty universally um, that didn't work. It, for, for so many reasons, it, the, the mystery element of it was not worked out very well. Um, 
and the the CGI gorilla um right is is is, is a failing i just i would so read should... so osama osama yusuf oh yeah why don't you you set it up a bit and i cuz i well, osama so yusuf translated the... a bit from his oh okay okay so they go to I'll just say, so they go to the libyan desert to find some like rare flower that they need as an antidote to a disease and then they go into like local Tuareg territory, which is like marked by a stone totem. Um, and there's a cave guarded by a monster of some kind. And the Tuaregs like warn them about it. And, and then they unleash this monster who is rendered as a giant gorilla, which was very disappointing to a lot of people because I think in the book he's described quite differently. And, and particularly in the sort of, depiction of the Tuareg people of and you know uh it was it was that that's where like the charge of orientalism came in I think is is that it didn't seem like a lot of work was done to like you know give a very realistic depiction of these people their culture and they really were kind of you know a kind of generic savage if that's not too strong of a thing to say, like, um, and they also didn't, they also spoke, I'm pretty sure like Egyptian dialect in their scenes, which was not at all credible. Um, so I think that was like a, a, a weak point. Yeah. So Osama has translated just briefly from, uh, so it's this CGI gorilla, which I think even if it, the cave guard Guardian had appeared as a a gorilla. This particular gorilla was not very believable looking. But so he he translated says you could imagine him as a large gorilla or a giant wolf or something like the Hulk who did not yet exist at the time. You could perceive him as a mass of fire or ghost like transparent being. But no, you're mistaken. Alassus does not resemble any self-respecting monster. He's a creature that surpasses my ability to express. Yes, he's a tangible being, but he doesn't resemble any scary thing we know. He's the monster that has not yet been invented, and that's why I can't find an image to bring him closer to you. He was scary, he was angry, and he was coming for me, and that was enough. And I think, you know, that's a hard thing in any... um, TV series, right? So, uh, no, that's a definite uh, challenge to put on to, to figure out how to. You how know, to literature can it. say, literature can say, you know, this this thing it is intangible. It's it's all your fears together. Imagine him as you will, and you can because I I can ha- imagine a scary thing from that. But yeah, he needs to render him on the screen, which is one of the challenges with the genre, like how to especially when it's i mean the the horror genre in 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 TVs and movies is like so saturated right and and so so how to do something original and scary i think is quite hard and i don't i think I, for example i think in this too like the show uses a lot of like very familiar techniques by now like you know uh, having... Yeah, it's funny. It's so familiar. I was almost expecting because I see this so much now in Anglophone horror, like some kind of wink or some kind of um, 
satiric take on the genre because that's so much of what I see now in horror. Yeah, whereas they play they 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 play it straight, right? And right, and they have like the ghoul that moves in that kind of like super sped up way, and they have like a figure that sort of darts across the screen, either super close to or far in the distance, and and sometimes it'll give you a little jolt. I mean, I don't watch horror at all because I I, I don't like to be scared, but <laughs> but even I know that these are like very familiar sort of like tropes of horror by now right um like the the little girl with the long hair who's like crouching on top of a drawer chest of drawers or something and you see her suddenly like you know this is kind of old hat i think in the world of horror Right. Although, you know, so the, what Ahmed Khalid Tawfiq can bring to sort of the Netflix series is, is, you know, the very specificness of, you know, the Egyptian landscape and, um, you know, the, the horrors of the village and. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's why I think though, it's a double-edged sword. Like if, if what, if, if the thing that you're bringing is a sort of like, cultural specificity to this type of story then you have to be careful that it really is a specificity and that Mm. your Tuaregs aren't just like generic you know generic Bedouins who worship some creature in a cave you know and 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 need like foreigners to come and like solve the mystery you know what I mean? I th- I think that's the criticism, right? Is is it has to be anchored? I think people felt like the books were really anchored in like a local point of view of you know a local language and tone and 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 sort of reuse of a lot of like uh, or or amalgamation of like these tropes from the genre internationally and like this this setting. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, uh, I think it, you know, it, it has to stand or fall as, um, on on the on the level of enjoyment, on the level of unpicking a mystery, on you know, and it doesn't quite make it, but I think it makes it enough that it will probably be renewed, and that. You know, he can try and build on the, the things that were successful, such as um, Rafat's, uh, you know, you know, c- cynicism, darkness, um, and and improve the things that were not quite working. Oh yeah, so I think it's better than a lot of Netflix shows that Netflix produces. Um, oh well, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and and it, and it, and, it, and it was like fun to watch, and and I think mm. there is this sort of novelty again of of just seeing something uh, from this part of the world put on screen that way. Uh, yeah, and hopefully, if if you know if if there are these kind of like interesting substantive criticisms of the adaptation, then like the writers maybe will take them to heart and. And work with that a little bit. I don't think anybody's being like really harsh on the show because because even the criticisms are still sort of like happy that it exists. Yeah, I don't. I I think. Um, I mean, 
whatever it's hard to say i think if it if i were the writer i would probably take it hard but um but definitely they're loving criticisms for sure yeah and like you said they come from the place of like wanting the the stories to be like uh you know, adapted in the best possible way or in the most satisfying way. Yeah, and clearly Amr Salema uh, loved these books as well and that this was a project that was, is, it is dearly important to him. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, the books, the, the, the paranormal books are not available in English. Uh, the only book of Ahmed Khalid Tawfiq that is, is his book Utopia, which is quite different. And uh, whereas he almost always wrote these like really long series, the articles I read about him said he wrote 500 books in his life, um, which is just like insane while being a full-time doctor. Uh, but, but the, the book Utopia is the only one of his that I've read. And, and yet I think it's quite, quite different from almost everything else that he wrote. Yeah, I think that one was sort of self-consciously for an adult audience. Um, it It is more, uh, I think, science, just science fiction um, in, in like in a, in a particular genre. Um, because, it, you know, it, and it's very specifically uh, a dystopia, you know, an inverted utopia. Right. So um, the premise is like it's sort of Egypt in the near future and... Uh, he's kind of taken the premise of the upper classes moving to gated communities, which is something that has been happening uh, for, for years now, uh, is people like leaving Cairo, seceding sort of from Cairo and and all its socioeconomic pressures and tensions into these like, you know, suburban villas that you have to, you know, out on the outskirts of Cairo that you drive to. And he takes that to the extreme where, you know, he imagines this this world in which all of the ultra rich live in this gated community called Utopia, and just the kids just do drugs and have sex all day, and um, you know, engage, and it's boring. Engage in the most <laughs> depraved behavior possible, and are bored out of their minds. And meanwhile, like all the rest of Egyptians live in this like Mad Max kind of. Uh, a wasteland outside. Oh, and the compound is protected by I think like American mercenaries US Marine. or Marines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and it's literally like dog eat dog outside of the compound. Right. And then a character. I, I mean, I honestly don't remember the book very well. I read it quite a long time ago. But then one of the characters, of course, what precipitates the action is they for kicks they decide to go out into this wild world outside of the compound and sort of have an adventure like hunt some other humans or something like that uh and and get into all sorts of trouble uh and uh i mean yeah it was sort of more serious i guess uh right right and it lacks this it lacks a dr refat you know it lacks um a playfulness a character yeah it lacks a playfulness it lacks um, a central consciousness around. It's got like a, a concept without giving us necessarily a way into a, a vision of it. Like, how are we supposed to see this? Who are we with? Right. Um, I there's think, not a, like a compelling character or voice. Well, because you follow the like spoiled, disgusting 
kid, right? right? <laughs> and he's not someone that you really can, you know, like you say, he's not a consciousness. Is either particularly interesting or sympathetic? Um, and I think, like, like you know, as 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 is quite often the case in 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 sort of sci-fi writing, is like you know, the author comes up with all sorts of like interesting kind of twists uh, on the, on, on the present and like ideas, you know, he has, I think it's like Israel has built its own Suez canal and like oil is obsolete because a new energy source has been found and he has like invents, he's invented new drugs. And so there's all these kind of like cool sort of like details, but then the, the character development and the writing is, you know, so so like uh like you said there's not a voice that like really brings things into focus right yeah so i i i talked to somebody who reread it after he died and said it, it yeah it was a book that he like liked because it had it had some interesting world building but it didn't didn't hold up to a re rereading whereas i know lots of people who have reread the paranormal books and that they do hold up i think it, you know they do have that voice they do have but if I, they have that sort of way of ta of drawing you into the world, um, which Utopia lacked. So you know, you know, Utopia was his sort of, um, you know, you can see why um, it, it would be a pitchable book as a translation. Um, it's standalone. You know, it, I think any any publisher in another language would balk at the idea of. 81 books is just, you know, uh, it's once you just, start on the paranormals, you have to translate all of them. <laughs> well, it's not just that. I think it's the also like you can pitch Utopia as this sort of politically relevant book, right? Right, right. It talks right, right. about, uh, you know, it's it speaks to social inequality in Egypt and politics in Egypt. It's something the author's doing quite explicitly. Like that's not r sort of foisted upon it. That's really that's what he's doing. But but the fact that you know those kinds of books are, it's not just literary merit often that gets books translated. It's this like relevance metric, um, right? And right. and so sort of you know, there may be no reason necessarily to translate the paranormal series into into another language because maybe there's plenty of competition already in that genre and of those books. And it's been hugely successful in, in, its, in its own language in the country of the author. And, you know, but it may, uh, you know, remain just that, like a hugely successful, you know, local series. But, but it, it's more what I find bothersome is always like, the fact that, uh, you know, books that are just fun are not seen as particularly interesting to translate books that are like meaningful in this very legible way are often yes, the ones. Right. Um, and I'm just saying, I don't think the second is any more worthy of translation than the first. Do you know what I mean? Um, like. Absolutely. And then it also, it, it, inevitably gives this sort of skewed picture of of a literature as right <laughs> like very serious and dark and always talking about big issues um right whereas of course uh, you know e egyptian literature in particular there's a ton of 
satiric literature, um, um, what people often call sarcastic literature, uh, what do we call it in English? I can't remember. Funny things and um, and horror and genre. Um, yeah, that, and I think the sort of outpouring of fandom is so touching because it, because because you know there is this like from the outside there's a sort of division of of arabic literature into what's worthy of translation or not and what sort of like is you know um sort of like carries explicatory gravitas or not but then internally there's also like a big division between sort of like worthwhile literature and you know just writing and and the huge following that he has is sort of touching because it shows you that there's just you know, in this in this region where people constantly bemoan, like, oh, people don't don't read anymore, you know, they don't care about literature, and you have all these people remembering how they would sneak his books into school and save up their money to buy them, and like, you know, this is how you begin. This is how you become a lifelong reader is 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 to be carried away by by something like this, and and so often though this this kind of link in like literary culture and in publishing culture is kind of either missing or neglected, like... Right. Well, I think it, this was like a very low prestige. And, and this is constantly a battle, and it's a battle in all the languages that I know of. Like, well, that's not real reading. His books were mediocre. It's not real literature. And, you know, just as you hear many people saying in English that graphic novels are not real literature, reading Mickey comics is not real literature. Although um, you've had a whole, mo I think you have had a, a big reevaluation, for example, of like, uh, you know, um, genre literature in in uh, in a American or Western criticism, right? Where you have like someone like Gore Vidal write the introduction to Tarzan, and like talk about how you know this is an absolutely brilliant book, and 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 I think people do, you know more and more like those books those books that you read as a kid that bring you in or as a as a young person uh and and that are often uh you know somewhat imp i mean my mysteries fall into this like my husband loved agatha christie books when he was a kid you know uh we we know that a bunch of like great egyptian writers like what they first read and loved were like Arsenio Lupin stories and like all all of all of this kind of like quote unquote schlock, but it's not. Like we know that it's fun. You know, we know this is right, great stuff. Right. Right. Well, I guess I, I mean I like this or I I'm sort of um, gravitating more and more toward the world of Arabic YA. And one of the one of the reasons I like it is because it is um it takes itself less seriously and it's because it's, you know, lower prestige. You can do some, some of the writing is sort of um, just fun for the sake of being fun. And uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He seems like really uh, uh, a very important uh, sort of interesting figure in the, in the ecosystem of, of, of publishing in Egypt and of writing and of reading in Egypt. Yeah, I, I just really enjoyed, I, I read, read in several people's pieces that after he died and after when, you know, the sort of literary establishment saw people sort of coming out in the streets and just 
gushing about how much they loved this author that they couldn't believe that this mediocre genre writer had such fans. You know, I, you know, in the voice of somebody who was a fan, um, you know, looking down on the literary snobs, I just found the whole thing delightful. I don't know why. Yeah, well, I mean, they must envy him his numbers, too. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it is a world in which, you, you know, a couple hundred copies is, is a normal circulation. So, um, and there for are, a man to... And there are brilliant books that are unfortunately only selling a couple hundred copies. Right, like, right. Um, so, I mean, bo both sides are true. But, yeah, I think he sort of... What's, what's sort of touching about his story is to is 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 a kind of vi the sort of victory in it of of his connection with all these readers and and of and of how much pleasure he seems to have given them yeah absolutely and continuing to go on call-in shows and um and to write back to readers who write to him to listen to his readers uh, yeah, I think he was um, singular in that way. Yeah, well, I mean, and here's hoping that like the show brings a whole new wave of readers uh, to his books, and 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 also that you know of of writers of of these kinds of stories. There's something so um, I, I find in, in how many books he wrote. There's something so sweet I find out the idea that he just loved being in the process of writing these stories. Like he couldn't stop. Like he, you know what I mean? It, it feels like he was addicted to like keeping that story going. And so were the, the readers. Um, so let, let's hope it keeps on going for a long time. Um, and, uh, and I think we've, we've, we're, we're finished talking about Ahmed Khaled Taufik, um, but we just wanted to uh, talk about uh, one other uh, piece of literary news. Right, which is the Palestine Rights Literature Festival, which started yesterday and runs through the 6th of December. Uh, it was originally supposed to be, well, it was originally going to be held in March in, in New York, but I guess we all know what happened in March which was uh, the shutdowns that started by COVID. And now, but now it is this sort of massive online event, which if you, if you go to palestinerights.vfairs.com, you'll find a kind of a virtual fair that you can move around in, the Akka showroom, the Jerusalem lounge, art exhibit, children's tent. Um, it tries to replicate uh, um, an in-person environment but also has, you know, um, video events that you can you can join with great writers, great Palestinian writers from around the world. Um, so, uh, and you know, you know, of course, the downside to all events that are not in person, um, you don't quite have the same, you know, interaction. But but you can have Palestinian writers um, and Palestinian audiences. Uh, in at a, this virtual event that who people who would not otherwise be able to travel, people who would not otherwise be able to engage with these authors. So, um, so do go stop by, attend, look at the different tents, um, browse the books, enjoy some of the talks. So, so it's so everything is already there. Like you go into this virtual space, and there's 
talks you can listen to and and things you can read and are there, are there interactive spaces um so there you can go into like the market you can go you can go into um see the talks you can go to the information booth i've i'm i've not tried to you know sort of uh interact yet but <laughs> other than watching a talk i'm not exactly sure but i you know so that like give it a tr give it a whirl that traditional element of the book fair where the 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 question the question and answer session at the end where somebody stands up and gives an 8 minute question that is partly all their feelings about the author and his work <laughs> Well, see, that's one of the positive things about these, you know, COVID events. So I, I had an, uh, one about Arabic literature for young reason, readers recently. And yeah, so somebody feeds me all the questions that appear and then I choose from among them. So I already see what the question is going to be. So the, you know, the 10 paragraph thing from somebody wanting to state their point of view about using Amea in children's literature, I just... Leave that out. Ah, see, that, that is useful. Right. Censorship right. is useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, in our event, you could still see everyone else's questions and comments. Oh, okay. There were like 190 of them or something. So there was just no way for me to get through uh, all those questions anyway. I think it probably allows people who are never the people who would stand up and take the microphone and ask something. It probably democratizes things where they do get to ask a question instead of the like usual folks you know who who tend to sometimes sometimes you know monopolize the, that those final those final moments of Q&A don't you think yeah definitely um it also sort of makes you articulate your question a little bit more uh if you have to type it in versus just sort of standing up and Right. Stating your and general feelings about yeah. the world. Right. I mean, though I, I kind of have a soft spot for these moments, weirdly. Like, I just wait for them. I know they're always coming. You know what I mean? Like, at, at most well, events. Well, it's, it's weird. You know, those, those sort of, like, uh, moments. Uh, like, for instance, the, um, the press conference that always happens after the International Prize for Arabic Fiction. Yeah, this sort of moment. The same question that's not a question... Uh, now I miss them. You know, uh, I used to like roll my eyes and be like, uh. Now you miss everything. Now I miss everything. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I mean, yeah, I really hope. I think we miss, we miss so many in-person things that seemed so mundane and, and now sound so thrilling. Walking around a book fair or any sort of book event sounds pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I you know it's it, it it makes me um, realize how much discoverability of certain certain types of Arabic literature really relies on being able to go to a book fair. Yeah, and and so um, the Palestine Right events will also feature like new books. Are they going to be releases or? Well, so there's like um inside the market I think you can go and shop for things and there's also like a bookstore front I think of the the books that are featured by the different writers like for instance um Ibtisam Azam with her book of disappearance is going to be there so you know there's that appears in the in the book bookstore area you know like you'd see a table of the books of the writers who are participating in a fe festival yeah yeah, cool. I'll have to check it out. Um, and, and hopefully some of our listeners will too. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks really in the. If you just click on the front page of it, it look. You know, you see little tiny people moving around. Um, you can click on the information booth, and then it brings up. You go straight. To, you know, it's a little bit video game like. Yeah, well, I mean, I think everybody's experimenting with how to kind of like replicate a bit the feeling of events, and maybe also, you know, imp take what whatever improvements be going online can can provide, and then also mitigate, of course, all the everything that's lost. But it's an, I mean, it's obviously it's an important event too. Like, I, I obviously I think it's it's great to for. Palestinian literature and Palestine to have visibility um, right now. And I hope it accomplishes that. Right. It's also like a wonderfully, uh, um, I don't know who other than Susan Abuhawa has been uh, part of organizing it, but it brings together different literatures, you know, like sort of an indigenous American literature in conversation with the Palestinian literature. And this, you know, so there's different panels um around different questions that that you know I haven't seen at other literature festivals that I'm very excited about yeah no definitely I think that both writing in and about Palestine raises some particular and particularly interesting questions and then it, it is interesting for that literature to be put in conversation um, with with other writing from around the world um, especially whatever, because of the way Palestine is cut off in so many ways. Um, so, so cool. All right. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about that. Um, and I guess we're going to wrap it up here for this time. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe, comment, etc. Been uh, delighted by the book club. Uh, discussion that can continue. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. So at some point in the future, we'll 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 try and do that again. Um, give uh, listeners some options to choose from and pick a book, and give people some time to read it before we dedicate an episode to it. Uh, I, I I think I think that was um, certainly for us. It was a pleasure. So you guys picked a good book for us last time. So <laughs> yeah. we're pleased. Um, okay, well, uh, bye, Marsha, for now, and uh, we'll be back soon. All right, bye. Bye. bye.